The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist, and I'm on a mission to find food truth and connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture. And I am absolutely delighted today to welcome Jill Nussenau, who is a dietitian like myself, but you are an author, Jill, of The Veggie Queen. In fact, you go by The Veggie Queen, and your latest project is a DVD to help cooks and eaters, consumers, get over their fear of the pressure cooker. So, first of all, welcome. Thank you for having me, Melinda. I'm delighted. Jill, I have to ask you, most of the people I meet who are vegetarians these days are mostly teenagers, and they they say they want to become vegetarians, and their parents are very worried. And then I think of people like you who have been vegetarian for many years and are fit and healthy and strong, so we know that vegetarian diets absolutely can support good health. What made you become a vegetarian? Um, I think I have a somewhat atypical story, but potentially not. When I was a teenager, my mom made meat just about every single night for dinner. It's kind of, I think it's a little different now, but it was really like the time, meat and potatoes, meat and potatoes. And I just really didn't like it, and it wasn't until I was probably, you know, around 13, 14 that I realized how much I didn't like it, and so what I would do is my mom would cook the meat, it would never be cooked enough, and I'd take it back into the kitchen, and I would cook it more, so it was like really cooked, and then um, I'd put ketchup on it, and my dad said, you know, why do you put ketchup on that? And I was like, because I don't like it, and then I thought, hmm, maybe I'd don't even need to eat it. And I had a friend who said that he be- was becoming a vegetarian. I thought, you know, I bet I could do that. And that was my story. And, and have, you've been a vegetarian ever since? Um, you know, kind of on and off, but mostly a vegetarian. You know, my diet has changed a lot over the years. I'd say, say only becoming healthier, especially, you know, I, just like other vegetarians, I've probably gone through phases where I've eaten more of, like, the fake meats and things like that. But now I'm pretty pure, and I eat a lot of real food because that processed food doesn't really work for me. Well, I love your book. The Veggie Queen, Vegetables Get the Royal Treatment. And I love your dedication, by the way, to Mother Earth and my parents who have inspired and encouraged me to do what I love. And in flipping through this, there wasn't a single recipe that didn't look absolutely mouth-watering. Spinach salad with warm sesame dressing, cabbage and red apple slaw, unstuffy stuffing with mushrooms and walnuts, fruited wild rice hot and smoky potato salad with chipotle peppers. I mean, everything in here looks absolutely fantastic. How did you develop these recipes? Well, you know, I've been teaching cooking for more than 20 years, and so I've had an audience on which I could test my recipes. Um, And I've taught at the junior college in Santa Rosa where I live, and so I would get, 
you know, I'd have numerous classes throughout the year, so I could always bring in a recipe, hand it to 25 people, and have them cook. All 25 of them wouldn't make the exact same recipe, but have them cook it and see what worked and what didn't work. So I kind of had built-in recipe testers. Mm-hmm. But the hardest part of the book was actually going through my recipes and picking out which ones I really wanted in there. And at one point, I think I had like 12 potato salads because I love potatoes. And I was yes. like, oh, you know, maybe I don't need quite so many of these. Right. So, you know, they've pretty much been tested. There are always a few glitches with them, but they're the recipes that I love, and they also don't contain any foods that I don't like. So you don't find anything with green peppers because I don't eat green peppers. But people could always add them if they wanted to. You know, and and I have to tell you, I teach non-vegetarians too, and sometimes I'll be making a recipe and I'll say, you know, if you'd like to add some shrimp or chicken or whatever, that's fine. So, you know, I think what I try to do is really focus on the vegetables to really get people to think about eating more of them. Right. I think it's 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 a fantastic resource. You know, one of the things that I hear a lot is somebody will see a vegetable either in the grocery store or at the farmer's market, and they'll say, what is it and how can I cook it? Right? Do you hear and, that too? Well, you know what I've discovered over the years is that that is what people say, and here's what I think. People are afraid to cook what they don't know. Right. And so one of the things that I do, I do this thing in my um, in various classes and talks. I call it show, tell, and taste. And so I show people what it is. I talk a little bit about what to do with it. Uh, you know, I, so I tell about it, and then I have them taste it. And then they go, oh, I do like celery root. Or, yes, that is a parsnip. And things that people, especially the winter vegetables, because a lot of them are really ugly and weird and right. big and hairy, you know. So um, people need that introduction. And the last place they get it is the supermarket. And they're more likely to have a little more interaction with their vegetables and what it is at the farmer's market. But still, you know, they'll stand back and they'll look and they'll go, hmm. So I always try to get them to try it. And, yeah. and really get it in their mouth. And I say, once they get it in their mouth, they're either going to go, I like it, yeah, it's okay, or I don't like that. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned the difference between the supermarket and the farmer's market. What I've discovered is there's really very little interaction at the supermarket. I mean, you might run into somebody and you say hello and chit-chat a little bit. But at the farmer's market, you know, when you're buying something that you've never seen before, not only are people asking the farmer how to cook it or how do they like it, but if somebody else is standing there, too, they'll say, well, this is how I like it. And it becomes a whole community of shared recipes, and it's really a totally different experience. Absolutely, Melinda. I have to tell you, last weekend, it was that happened. I mean, what I think is, like, I'm just part of the chain. So <laughs> there are these delicata squash, and I love delicata squash. So I said to this woman... She said, well, what do you do with them? And I said, well, I cut them in half, and I put them, you know, cut side down in a glass baking dish with a teeny bit of water and a 350, 20, 25 minutes. And she said, oh. And there was a guy there who was from a European country. He didn't really know what to do with them. So she... He listened, and then I walked away, and she was telling the next person what to do with them. And I thought, yes, my life is complete, because now 
what's the thing that's happening is what I really want to happen. I know. You know is this, it's this it's is not it. just about me telling that person. It's because that person then is trained and they can tell the next person. Is this not a dietitian's dream come true? It is. I know. It's absolutely. With real food. Exactly. You know, I, I don't know if I ever told you this, but and I should tell our listeners that Jill and I have met at several conferences and became fast friends because of our love for food and eating well. I can't remember if I ever told you the story where I met Wendell Berry in Iowa, and I asked him, how do you get kids to care about their food? And he thought for a moment, and he said, well, you get them to taste it. And I think that's really the beauty with your profession, is not only are you an author and a speaker, but you also teach people how to cook, and we seem to have forgotten that along the way. Absolutely. It's, you know, it's what happened was the reason that I went from teaching nutrition and counseling individual people to teaching cooking was it felt like the missing step that people don't eat nutrients they eat food but they i got that they really didn't know what to do with their food and so i i just love teaching people you know even if it's something basic like you know how do you cook brown rice or you know what's that thing and what do you do with it i just love that well i have to ask you because i i suspect maybe some of our listeners may be wondering A lot of times when I talk about vegetarianism, people will say, well, gosh, you know, what do you eat? And you actually are closer to being, um, you know, I asked you earlier, do you have any dairy products or eggs in your diet? And you said very little. So you're really closer to being a vegan than even a lacto-ovo vegetarian, which also includes more um, eggs and dairy in their diet. So... How do you manage to, I guess I should just maybe ask you what you have to eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Well, I kind of turn eating upside down, and I eat for breakfast what a lot of people might eat for dinner, um, only because I feel better when I do that. And so I eat kind of strange things that are only considered strange in this country. Um, But, you know, I might eat something like a bowl of miso soup, or I eat like these tofu stir-fries that I make with all kinds of vegetables, um, and potatoes, because I love potatoes. So it varies according to the time of year. And But I really rely a lot on real food. Like, I eat a lot of beans. I eat a lot of greens. I eat a lot of, you know, just a lot of vegetables. Mm-hmm. I do eat some soy, some tofu, and some tempeh. And I hardly eat any fake meat products, which I used to do more when my son was little, only because I think I didn't have the time, or I thought I didn't have the time to eat better. I don't eat a lot of pasta. I rely a lot on whole grains, mm-hmm. and my favorite is probably quinoa, so I go through these quinoa cravings. Right. You know, I eat so many colors of rice that people are like, oh, I didn't know it came in that color, and just a whole variety of things. So I say that, you know, probably as a vegetarian, my diet has more variety than a lot of other people because I really maybe think a little more about it. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I, I know that many times when I speak to teenagers who are debating whether or not they want to become a vegetarian or their parents are concerned, 
You know, I always say a vegetarian diet is not going to McDonald's and ordering any, everything but the burger. It really does take some knowledge of the different food groups because if you're not eating a certain food group, then we need to make sure that we get the nutrients that were in that food group in other ones. And I think people don't realize how easy it really is to get those nutrients. And one of the things you didn't mention, but I have to ask you, nuts and seeds, right? Oh, I love nuts and seeds. I actually eat them very often. You know, here's what I say that I eat. I eat whole grains, nuts and seeds, fruits and vegetables, and beans. Right. And and that, that's pretty much the basis for what I eat. But I do, I mean, I love nuts and seeds. I just don't eat a ton of them. But, boy, do they make a huge difference in, in flavor and fat. Oh, I forgot avocados because they fall under those fruits and vegetables. But, mm-hmm. but I just, I, I eat this bread that has, like, sunflower seeds on the outside and toast it. Yum. Well, I should let people know that if they want to see how good a vegetarian looks in real life, they should go to your website and see you in person. And you can go to www.theveggiequeen.com. And you can see just how fit and healthy a person can be who's been a vegetarian for decades. Well, I have to ask you this because uh, as we were talking before the show, I mentioned that for many years I was a vegetarian. And then I was walking home from work one day and I smelled a burger on the grill and I thought, you know, I want to eat that again. And I don't eat much meat, but when I do, I pay very careful attention to where that meat comes from. I don't want it coming from an industrial factory farm. I want it coming from a farmer that I know. I want it to be organic. I want it to be humanely raised. So I do eat a little meat myself, but have you ever been tempted to go to the dark side and have meat again? Well, you know, Melinda, I wouldn't even call it the dark side. I don't have a, um, a staunch view of anything, I don't think. And people are always like, are you offended if I eat this? I'm like, only offended if you make me eat it. But no, I don't. I Believe me, there's times I smell like something, like the, the allure of the smell of bacon is, you know, really something. But I just don't have any desire for it. Yeah. So no, it just doesn't, it's not something that really enters my mind and I don't really think about it. I'm like, nope, I just don't eat that. I do have to say there's some things that when they're cooking, they do smell pretty good, but eating them just doesn't appeal to me. Yeah, and you're right. Bacon does fall into that, that category. <laughs> we are One of those the- things makes your mouth start, you know, start drooling. It's like, oh, that smells so good. Yeah, it is amazing. We are at the halfway point, so I want to let our listeners know that we are talking to the veggie queen, Jill Nussenau, who is an author of the book, The Veggie Queen, Vegetables Get the Royal Treatment, and a video about how to cook with a pressure cooker, which is a fearful idea for many of us. So we should probably talk about that, Jill. And I should say, too, Jill is based in California. We have met uh, at several conferences, became fast friends. Jill is an impressive author, chef, educator. She has an impressive list of clients, including Kaiser Permanente out of California, different hospitals all around the country, Um, Amy's Kitchen, which I'll put a plug in for because they make wonderful vegetarian meals to go if somebody is um, in a college dorm or if they're working in an office and they want a microwavable meal. Here's one you can feel good about eating. You've presented at the EcoFarm Conference, also in California, and you've got a, a link also in Pennsylvania at the Vegetarian Summerfest. That must have been a blast. Oh, I, I've spoken there for four years, and it's 
it's like vegetarian camp for adults. Oh, but there great. are kids there too. But it is often the who's who of vegetarian speakers. So Colin Campbell's been there and this Milton Mills is a doctor and I mean just all of these oh, Howard Lyman comes there. It's really Fun. It sounds like a lot of fun. Okay, we have to talk. I do want to talk about health benefits, but I also have to ask you about pressure cooking because I'm in that camp of okay. I do have fear. Okay. Well, let me tell you about pressure cooking. You know, my mother's pressure cooker did blow up, and I thought, I'm never going to use a pressure cooker. But as a vegetarian who eats beans, a lot of beans, I thought, you know, I really want to do this. And it took me, oh, I have to say about five years before I actually built up enough nerve to actually use a pressure cooker. And I saw Lorna Saff, who is like, I consider her my pressure cooking mentor. I saw her use one in person, and I went, oh, I could do that. They cannot blow up this new generation of pressure cookers. They're the ones without the little jiggler on top. They just have a little button that pops up, and they're really easy to use. And if your um, listeners want to see me in action with it, they can go to my other website, which is pressurecookingonline.com, and there's a little video there that they can watch, and it shows the little button popping up. So I did start using it, and I loved it, and I would talk about it in my classes, and then people would say, well, why don't you teach us how to do this? And I thought, oh, I guess I could do that. So I've been teaching pressure cooking classes for about going on 14 years. And, you know, I get a lot of people who are scared, and then they see me do it, and they're like, oh, I can do that. And I I know that it's pretty foolproof because I do it with my junior college students. Um, I convinced the college to buy some pressure cookers, so we do it in class. They've never blown one up because you can't and not really had any problems. That is amazing to me that they've changed the technology so they can't blow up. I mean, that's really where the fear comes from. Well, you know, what What um, most people say, and I believe this to be true because I don't use that type of pressure cooker, it's usually user error or you have something in there that clogs the vent and then it does get too much pressure and then it blows. But now they're, they have like four or five built-in safety features, so they have more pressure release valves. And what will usually happen is you'll burn your pot before anything else will happen. Wow. I like the idea of cooking beans in a pressure cooker because so often you think, well, I'd really like to have some beans, but, oh, they're going to take hours to cook. Or you can use canned beans, but, you know, we read so much about those plastic migratory compounds, the bisphenol, coming from or emanating from the lining of the cans. That's really scary. It is. I had a student who figured out that the money she saved on buying canned beans, she could afford her pressure cooker. Wow. I, that's great. And, and if you pre, I almost always pre-soak, but you can do them from dry. If you pre-soak, let's say black beans or pinto beans, they only take four to six minutes at pressure. Wow. So in like less than twenty minutes, you'll have beans. Okay, you've convinced me. I'm going to go out and get a, a a newfangled pressure cooker. Well, you can you can ask me for advice. I I give advice by email. If anybody has questions about it, they can send me an email to Jill at theveggiequeen.com. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I have people who I don't even know sending me messages and saying, you know, thinking about getting a pressure cooker, what should I get? I do sell them on my website. 
life, but I always tell people if you find one and, you know, at Macy's or some store or online, wherever, just buy one. I just want people to have them in their hands because it just gives you, it just gives you a new way to cook and it makes it so that you don't have the barrier of saying, I can't make brown rice because it takes 45 minutes. Right. It's half the time. Well, uh, this is great news. Now, I have to ask you about health benefits because when you mentioned going to the Vegetarian Summerfest and hearing Colin Campbell speak, he, of course, is at Cornell University. I believe he's the author of the China study. Is that Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And I'm sure you've probably heard him speak about that. Do you want to share any Well, pearls? I mean, you know, basically from all of the people that, you know, the vegetarian doctor, MD, you know, guru types, um, you know, a vegetarian diet in general is healthier, especially when it's based on a lot of plant foods, not like the young woman I knew who was a pizzatarian, because um, <laughs> that's not necessarily healthier. But, you know, generally, when you look, you know this from looking across all diets, the ones that are based more, like the Mediterranean diet, based more on fruits and vegetables, whole grains, and other plant foods, you tend to have less obesity, less cholesterol problems and heart disease, less diabetes, lower blood pressures, all the things that you would expect from a healthier diet, as long as there's good food choices. And the big thing with Colin Campbell and his book is, I think one of the breakthrough things that he kind of talked about was that people didn't need quite as much protein as we think. Right. And I think that's a, a big deal. How, do you recall how many grams he recommended? You know, I don't. I tell people a minimum of 40, uh, that you don't necessarily need a whole lot more than 40 grams. And that doesn't work out to all that much food because, you know, you're going to get protein in pretty much everything you eat. That's right. So you don't really have to. People in this country are pretty, like, protein crazy. Absolutely. But we don't really need to be. I mean, even if you're following, a you know, a, a meat-based diet, you really only need, like, four to six ounces a day. Right. I know, and, and, and that's one of the issues that comes up, I know, a lot when people are questioning a vegetarian diet, how do you get enough protein? Do you hear that, too? I do, and it's basically eat food. Yeah. You know, I mean, all you really need is a cup of beans a day plus other sources of protein, which is almost anything you eat, unless you're existing only on, you know, fruit and fat, you're pretty much going to get the protein you need. We were both at the American Dietetic Association meeting in Denver a couple of months ago, and you attended one session that I did not attend, and you loved it, and it was on anti-aging. Oh, Dr. Roizen's session? Yes. Oh, it was very good. Did he promote a vegetarian diet? You know, I don't know whether he did or not, but I just saw that his partner in crime with the U books, Dr. Oz, mm-hmm. has a 21-day like vegan jumpstart program or something like that. Hmm. So he was saying that he, he didn't say a, a vegetarian or vegan diet, but he did say more plant foods. Right. And I think, you know, we're seeing more and more of that, and it's pretty much um, indisputable that... This is what I tell people. You don't have to be a vegetarian. You don't have to be a vegan. But try to make about, you know, at least 60 or 70% of what you eat those foods and then kind of supplement with whatever else you want. I have to ask you another question because I'm looking at this long list of presentations that you give all over the country. Superfoods, myths or miracles. Are there superfoods, do you think? Yes, but I don't think they're what you think of. 
and some foods are just, you know, a lot more nutritious than other foods, but I'm not talking really about acai or goji berries or anything like that. I really encourage people to get the superfoods that grow in their own backyard, sometimes literally and sometimes not. And when I first did that talk, it was really funny because what what the the end part of the talk really was all about was maybe we should be eating the weeds. Mm-hmm. And really to get that into people's mind that weeds have a tremendous ability to grow. And I tell them all about my um, dandelion garden, which my husband thinks are weeds, but, you know, how they're edible and consider that that plant will grow pretty much anywhere. Like what must be the nutrition of that plant that it could sustain itself? You know, I think that's Uh, really great advice. I, I always have to question the idea that we're bringing something that's supposed to have magical qualities from halfway across the globe. And I think, how environmentally sustainable can that be? Well, you know, here's what I really think about that whole, you know, like you don't have to be the hyper-locavore, but it's good to get as many of your fruits and vegetables locally as you can. Um, But some things, like people don't want to give up their chocolate, coffee, sugar, tea, bananas. I understand that. Um, And I don't want to give up my quinoa. You know, I could get it from Colorado if they have it. But So the things that are, are... that you can get locally, get locally, and the other things are kind of like the supplements, and you get them when you when you can. But in terms of fruits and vegetables, we have wild blueberries in this country. We don't need acai. Right. You know, we have elderberries growing in lots of places. You know, we don't need to get those things from other places. Jill, we're out of time, but I wanted to just give you a moment to send us off with a, an empowering message. Well, my message is always um, eat your vegetables, try to get your 9 to 11 servings a day, and really, you know, focus on getting the ones that you like that are in season, fresh, because they'll be more delicious. And then, if you want a great way to cook them, use the pressure cooker, because it will, it will, I say it will change your cooking life, and it really did change mine. And it will certainly improve your health, too. Yes. Jill, thank you so much for spending time with me this afternoon. If you're wondering what interesting person I've just been talking to, it's Jill Nussenau. She also is a registered dietitian, and she is the author of The Veggie Queen, as well as the producer of a video on how to cook fearlessly with a pressure cooker. And I invite you all to go to the website, www.theveggiequeen.com. And I want to remind our listeners that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Jill. Thank you, Melinda.